Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 1 Our story opens in spring of 1797 in a sequestered valley in western Pennsylvania on a green hillside dotted here and there with stately oaks and elms and sloping toward the road beyond which flowed the clear waters of a mountain stream stood a brick farmhouse large roomy substantial beautiful with climbing vines and flowering shrubs orchard meadow wheat and cornfields stretched away on either hand shut in by dense forests and wooded hills beyond and above which toward the right towered the giant alleghanies their summits still white from the storms of the past winter lying like a bank of snowy clouds against the eastern horizon but night drew on apace the light was fast fading even from the mountain tops and down in the valley it was already so dark that only the outlines of objects close at hand were discernible as our hero kenneth clendenin mounted upon romeo his gallant steed entered in it from the west and slowly wended his way toward its one solitary dwelling the road was familiar to both man and horse and ere long they had reached the gate a boy perched on the top of the fence with his hands in his pockets whistling softly to himself in the dark broke off suddenly in the middle of his tune sprang nimbly to the ground and took the bridle exclaiming kimasa doctor doctor you and oh romeo coming up de road oh aunt vashti she told me watch out her inv- ax you if you's had you supper, sir. Yes, Seb, tell her I have, and shall want nothing more tonight, answered the traveler, alighting. Rub Romeo down and give him a good feed. Dad, I will, the doctor. I never collect so Romeo, returned the lad, vaulting into the saddle and cantering off to the stable, while the gentleman walked quickly up the path leading to the house. Within a wood fire burned brightly in the wide chimney of the living room. An armchair stood on each side of the hearth. The master of the house occupying one, his wife the other. She with her knitting, he half crouching over the fire, watching the flickering flames in moody silence. At a table on the farther side of the room, a little girl was poring over a book by the light of a tallow candle. She had seemed very intent upon its pages, but at the first sound of the approaching footsteps, sprang up and ran to open the door. At last, Kenneth, she cried in a joyous but subdued tone. Yes, little sister, he said, laying his hand caressingly for an instant on her pretty brown hair and smiling into the bright dark eyes. I'm glad to find you up. I thought you went to bed with the chickens. Not tonight, the last, oh, Kenneth. Kenneth, and she burst into passionate weeping. Marion, my little pet sister, he whispered, sitting down, try to be cheerful for mother's sake. 
I will, she answered hastily, wiping away her tears. I have a parting present for you, Kenneth, she went on with a determined effort to seem bright and happy. A pair of stockings made of my own lamb's wool, and every stitch knit by my own fingers. I took the last tonight, and you're to travel in them. Many thanks, he said. My feet will surely keep warm inside, though the nights are still very cool. Yes, come nearer to the fair, Kenneth, said the mother, who had been watching the two silently, but with glistening eyes. She was a woman of middle age, gentle-mannered, with a low and peculiarly sweet-toned voice, a tall and stately figure, and a face that told a story of trial and sorrow born with patience and resignation. Kenneth resembled her strongly in person and manner. He had the same noble contour of features, the broad, high forehead, the large, dark gray eye, keen yet tender in expression. Thank you, he said, coming forward and taking his stand upon the earth, where the fair light fell full upon his tall, manly form. Its warmth is by no means unpleasant. Sit down, Kenneth, sit down, and take me on your knee, said Marian, bringing him a chair. Are you not growing rather large and heavy for that? the mother asked with a slight smile, as Kenneth good-humouredly complied with the request. I'll be bigger and heavier before he has another chance, remarked the child, putting an arm about Kenneth's neck and gazing wistfully into his eyes. But not too big, never too big, to take your seat here, he responded drawing her closer. Ah, oh, there will be many a lonely hour when I shall long for my little sister, long to feel her weight upon my knee, her arm about my neck, just as I feel them now. Why do you all talk so much? queried the older man sharply, speaking for the first time since Kenneth's entrance, and turning somewhat angrily toward the little group. You leave me no peace of my life with your incessant gabble, gabble. With the last word he rose and withdrew to an inner room. No one answered or tried to detain him. The shade of sadness deepened slightly on the mother's calm face, and Marion's arm tightened its hold on Kenneth's neck, but no one spoke, and the room was very still for a moment. Then the mother, glancing at the dial plate of a tall, old-fashioned clock, ticking in a corner, said, Marion, my child, it is growing late, and you will want to be up three times in the morning. The little girl, heaving a sigh, reluctantly bade them good night and retired. Kenneth looked after her. What a sweet creature she is! What a lovely woman a few years will make of her, he said, but catching the expression of the mother's countenance, he ended abruptly with almost a groan. She had dropped her knitting in her lap. Her face had grown very pale. Her lips quivered, and there was a look of anguish in her eyes. Kenneth longed to comfort her, but could find no words. He brought a glass of water and held it to her lips. She swallowed a mouthful, and as he set the glass down on a stand by her side, took up her work again with a slight sigh. The spasm of pain seemed to have passed, and her face resumed its accustomed expression of patient endurance. He stood gazing down on her, his eyes full of wistful tenderness. Mother, he said, bending over her and speaking in a voice scarce raised above a whisper, our God is very good, very merciful. Surely he will hear our united prayers that it, that fearful may never light on her. His will be done with me and mine, she answered low and tremulously. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him in him. 
He turned and paced the room for several minutes, then came back to her side. And I, am I right to go and leave you thus, alone, unprotected, if... She looked up with a great courage in her noble face. Yes, go, Kenneth. I do not fear, and it is best for you and for him. You forget how fully we have both been convinced of that. How brave you are, how strong in faith, he cried amaringly. She shook her head in dissent. You do not know how my heart fails me at times when I think of my dear boy far away in that northwestern territory, fighting his battle with the world among strangers, often exposed to the pitiless storms or in danger from wild beasts or sad, coming home from his long rides over prairies and through forests, wet, cold, and weary, and finding no one to cheer him and comfort him. There were tears in her eyes and in her voice. Don't be troubled about me, Kenneth said cheerily. I'm young and vigorous and shall rather enjoy roughing it in the pursuit of my calling. A noble calling to one who follows it in the right, Kenneth. Your arrangements are all completed. Yes, we meet, meet at the crossroads an hour after sunrise. She gave him a troubled, anxious look, opened her lips as if to speak, then closed them again. What is it, mother? he asked. Why should you hesitate to say to me all this in your heart? Miss Lamar, I saw her the other day. She is sweet and fair to look upon, and very winsome in her ways, but— The sentence was left unfinished, while her eyes sought his with a yearning, wistful look. I will be on my guard, he said huskily. I know that marriage is not for me. As a physician, I am convinced of it, as another might not be, unless— Oh, there will come to me at times a wild hope that there may one day be an end to this suspense, this torturing doubt and fear. Too many years have passed, she answered sadly. I have no longer any expectation that it will ever be cleared up this side of the grave. Do not say it, he entreated. It must be done. I shall never resign hope till I have attained to some certainty, and yet, and yet, in either case, it must be grief of heart to me. My poor boy, she murmured, regarding him with tenderly compassionate gaze. Then after a pause, Kenneth, she remarked, there is a little Clendenin about you, except the name. You strongly resemble my mother's family in both disposition and personal appearance. And yet, he said with a melancholy smile, there is nothing more certain than that. I am a Clendenin. Well, she said, gazing upon him with loving pride, yet with eyes dim with unshed tears, is a family of no mean extraction, and an honest, pious ancestry is something to be thankful for. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.